Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. In today's show, we're going to be talking to Darren Fleming, a peak performance strategist based in Adelaide, Australia, who helps senior leaders eliminate the biggest productivity killers of their team. Darren believes that when it comes to peak performance, we need to focus on fixing the distractions inside our head instead of around us. Darren is passionate about helping business leaders quiet the voice in their head so they stay focused, productive, and balanced. And I think that this is a great topic for the start of the new year because everyone wants to start the new year fresh, focused, balanced, with super goals around productivity. So, Darren, welcome to the show today. G'day, John. Great to be here. You're in another time zone in a southern hemisphere, a world apart, where it's summer down there and winter here. And people might be having a different headspace at this time of year where you are than where we are. But let's talk about the headspace that you find is so important to be successful. And let's start with just how did you get into what you're doing? Like where, what was your path to doing this? And, yep. and then I'm going to get into asking, like, why you got into it. So you might just yeah. roll into that. My my path to talking around mindset and high performance goes, I remember when I was in year seven at school. So what's that? Probably about 13, 14. I remember being on the bus reading a book that my mum bought. It's How Your Mind Works. Probably written in the 70s. I was reading it in the late 80s. In Western Sydney, if you knew anything about Western Sydney in the 1980s, it was not a kind place, probably got beat up at school for reading that sort of book on the bus or just simply reading. And I've always been fascinated about how does the mind work? How do we, what do we have in our head? Where do they come from? What do they do? And I got into elite sport, represented Australia a number of times in sailing, went off, studied psychology, and just all the organisations I've worked with and in as an employee, whether it be multinational banking organisations or working for the government, Always fascinated with why some people performed and others didn't. And I've just always been fascinated on how to improve that. Yeah. And so, like, why should people pay attention 
to this as a subject matter? Because a lot of people are pretty stressed. A lot of people, they're not happy with the way their life is going. And you ask most people, are you happy with the way your life's going? And a lot of them will say yes, some will say no. But you then look at their behaviours for what's going on. How do they cope to get through the day? I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Australia, there's something like 70% of all adult Australians have an alcoholic drink once a day. Oh, that's just crazy. That's crazy when you think about it because alcohol is a numbing agent. Right. It numbs our senses so we don't feel as much. We get to the end of the day and then people just want to not feel. So they want to disengage with what's going on. What causes that? And but let me ask you, there are people, I just spent a lot of time in, in a country that's owned by France, and the French <laughs> love to drink wine. And they love to have, at least the people I was hanging out with, but they love to have a glass or two, share a bottle. It's, I don't think they're tuning out so much as maybe tuning into a different channel. And you they're to drive a motor vehicle in the US when you've had drinks? If you've had under the alcoholic 0.08. Oh, so that would be five. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so that would be one or two alcoholic drinks for your yeah. weight. So the re why do they do that? The reason they do that is we know scientific literature backs this up that when you have alcohol, you're less responsive, you're less present, you slow down. Yep. I get the social lubricant, and I'm certainly not against drinking, but if it's something you rely on every day to get through the day, oh, I can't wait for 5 o'clock so I can have my first beer. That's a different mindset. That's right. a different mindset. That's right. a problem. If it's right. part of your routine and if you don't get that, at the end of the day, I don't. I haven't had my beer. That's Yeah. That's no, I understand. maladaptive behavior. I understand. And we don't want to go too far down this road, I don't think. But no. I grew up in a family where my mother always had like a scotch on the rocks um, at the end of the day. And she learned that from her father. And of yeah. course, I found as I got older into my middle age, I started not with the scotch, but having a drink, a glass of wine, something. And I there is a social part of it that I think is very oh, relaxing, but I try and keep it to one or two drinks. I don't go beyond that because I think it does make me um, stupid <laughs> in order. <laughs> and and I'm more likely to say things that I might regret. Yeah. So I think so, that's so how we got onto this was yes. how do we know people need to change their mindset? Exactly. In the start of the year, a lot of people have the mindset of, in Australia, we have dry July and dry January. Okay. So people set up, okay, I'm not going to drink for these 30 days or whatever it happens to be, 31 days. It's evidence that people want to step away from that, from drinking. And okay, so yes. what's the mindset around I, that? I understand. It's so important at the start of the year. And I started a sober January with New Year's Eve being sober that day and went for a few days. And last night, we just a lot of driving around town, dealing with a partner's surgery. And I was like, you know what? Let's have a glass. And she couldn't drink, but I thought, let's have a glass of red wine. Just it's been mm -hmm. a long day. Let's celebrate a little bit. 
So my sober January didn't last very long, but so let's, I, I didn't let's have a need for it. It was just, this would be nice. This would be. Can we tease this apart as uh, to why that happened? Why not? Right. This is, yeah, there's no so, rules on this show. So you got to a point at the end of the day and yes, you had a stressful day. What, what was it that caused you to want to have that drink? It was just, I thought today's been a long day. It would feel a little more relaxing if I could just yeah. have a little glass of red wine. I bought the bottle to celebrate because she couldn't drink going into this procedure. And I thought this would be a nice thing. And she couldn't drink 24 hours afterwards, but I've been caretaking, I guess, for her. It was just like, I thought, <sighs> be able to take a deep breath. And yeah. not have to sit so, there so, and do like meditation or something. Or but I, mean, I so, could have so turned the, on the music and started dancing, I suppose. But <laughs> So there's a few things in there. There's a few yeah. things in there that you mentioned. You said, oh, this would have felt, that it just feel nice. Right. And then you said, get to the end of that, which is an energetic verbalizing of a feeling. Yes. And what happens is the body has a, an energetic sensation move through it. We call them feelings. I don't like to use that term because feelings, emotions, and all that right. sort of jazz, people don't like to talk about it. It's just an energetic sensation within your body. There was an energetic sensation coming through your body that caused you to want to have a drink. Yes. What most people do when they are trying to avoid having that drink is they fight that energy. I feel like having a drink. I can I can almost hear it calling my name. I can just drawing me to it. And we laugh about it, but it's actually true. And so what people do when they try to not drink is they try to suppress that. And I just push it down. I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna avoid it. I'm going to do I'm gonna go over here and do this. Or I'm gonna turn on the music and dance. And Turning on the music and dancing is great, but what it's not doing is addressing the energetic sensation, the force within. So what people do is they then try to avoid, I know I'm just not going to have any alcohol in the house because right. that way when I want to have a drink, I can't have any, there's none nearby, it's too much of an effort to go to the shop. And what is happening is they're not deprogramming the energetic sensation within their body. It was Carl Jung, a student of and then contemporary of Sigmund Freud, who said, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will continue to turn up in our life and we will call it fate. So how do we make the unconscious programming in us conscious? The way we do that is to sit with that energetic sensation. So last night, you felt like it would be good to have a glass of wine. And I thought so I could sit, sit with the energetic sensation, and I thought I'd rather sit with a, just a small <laughs> glass of wine and it would be much yeah. more pleasurable. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you want. Now, I'm not saying don't ever drink. What I'm right. saying is drink because you choose to drink. Correct. As opposed to it's five o'clock, I'm going to have a drink, which is not choice. It is the clock has said something, therefore I will. So how do we deprogram that? Yes. We, sit, we simply sit with the energetic sensation and you just watch that energy in your body. So you yesterday said you felt like having a beer, red wine. I live in Adelaide, South Australia. Adelaide has I four hear. of the world's great wine regions on our doorstep. Yeah, I hear. Yeah. 
McLaren Vale, Barossa Valley, Clare Valley. So I used to work in the wine industry. I do love my red wines. <laughs> so what you do is you sit there and feel the energy in your body. Right. And you and don't label it. Don't go, oh, this is my feeling telling me I would need to have a beer or red wine. Don't justify it. Of course I feel this way. It's been a long day. Don't own it. Oh, this is just the way that I feel. Don't tell a story about it. Don't label it. Just watch it. Do nothing. And what will happen is that energetic sensation will rise within your body and then the law of impermanence will kick in. Nothing in the universe lasts forever. Everything has the beginning, middle, and end. It will be the same with that energetic sensation within your body. All you have to do is watch that energetic sensation rise, exist, and then fall away. And once it's fallen away, it has deactivated itself, and we have made the unconscious conscious. And then it's not going to turn up in our life. And what that means is we can choose to have a red wine or choose to not have a red wine. Yes. We're living in choice as opposed to putting guardrails around our life that keep us away from it or I'm having it because I I have to because that's just my habit. Yeah, I think and that's what we're talking about basically, right? We're talking about habits and we're talking about discipline and we're talking about having the freedom to choose in that moment yeah, and to accept the results and the consequences if they if we don't choose wisely and to know that the next time we get to choose again and we don't have to be we don't have to choose the same thing so we can follow a different habit different choice it's but i disagree with habits and discipline i think habits and discipline are the cage that keep freedom at bay so if you're a salesperson you each week for argument's sake have to make I don't know, let's say 10 cold calls. And you have the habit, because you, you've listened to all the podcasts and read all the books and you've done the sales course, they say, do the calls on Monday morning when you're fresh and when you're yep. alert. Yes. And you set up that habit. But what happens if you don't want to make the calls on Monday morning? What happens if you want to, you know, so I've been making the calls on Monday morning for you, know, six weeks. There's the the consequences, right? So if your goal is to make those calls on Monday morning and maybe Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, because you're in a sales role and that's what you have to do. um, And you know that you need to make so many contacts and you know that law of averages tells you you make so many dials, you make 20 dials in an hour and you connect with two people in an hour and you have two conversations and you do that for five hours a day, then you have 10 conversations a day and 50 conversations a week. And if you don't do that for that Monday or Monday through Friday, then the consequences are that you don't have those conversations. You don't create those opportunities. And so, yes, that is true. But let's look at not the outcome. Let's look at what's going on in the individual. Okay. They say that Monday morning between, I don't know, say 10 and 12, they'll make those 10 calls. I'll do the the research, reach out, blah, blah, blah. And once they've done those 10, whether or not they've got through to people, they can get on with the rest of their week. If they don't do it, what happens? They sort of hang over. They start to feel it. Yeah. You start to feel a sense of guilt. 
of sense yeah. of remorse, maybe overwhelm, maybe you're yeah, and it would keep you out of the present moment. Yeah. Because you're thinking about something that you should have done and you're shooting on yourself, as I like to say. Shooting which all is over a, yourself. Yeah. So what happens is if you have a habit of making your calls on Monday morning, mm-hmm. for some reason, whatever, you don't. You've had to kick them down the road to Monday to Tuesday and Tuesday is always busy, so is Wednesday and Thursday. This week is just chock it. So you've kicked them to Friday because you couldn't. You chose for whatever reason to not do them. So what you've got hanging mentally over your head all week is I still have to make these calls. I still have to make these calls. So you've got that hanging over your head. And as you mentioned, you're living with guilt and remorse and all these below-the-line feelings that you have to deal with. That's not a fun way to live. Because who wants to live with guilt? It's tough. And I think, so let's relate this to senior leaders. We've been talking, I guess, sort of parenthetically about salespeople, but senior leaders, CEOs. And I think the job of a CEO is pretty tough because you have Mm -hmm. to think about what is the right thing that I need to be doing? And Mm -hmm. to ask yourself, is this CEO work? And I work with a lot of CEOs of smaller, middle-sized companies that don't always do the right work. They might Mm. be doing the salesperson's work, or they might be doing stuff that is not going to improve the culture, not going to improve the structure, not going to be focused on holding people accountable towards results. So it's difficult. To do the CEO's work. And the mindset, I think, of a CEO must start with understanding what is it that the CEO of this company needs to be doing and what is it that they're not doing. And they need to face that difficulty and they need to lean into it rather than lean out of it or avoid it. So a couple of things there. First of all, let's assume that this CEO you're talking about, and I get their hypothetical, let's assume they know what to do. Right. But for some reason, they're not. And what they're leaning into is actually the previous role they had, which might have been, I don't know, a CFO or CXO or come up through the sales department or wherever. And they keep leaning back to what to where they've come from. So let's look at what's going on inside the individual. Based with Monday morning, there's two things they could do. They could do the CEO role or they could sort of get dragged back into their old role. Yes. Which one feels more familiar? I think that's part of the Yeah, they'll go into their comfort zone. Yeah. So what happens is they get a coach, someone like you who comes in, says you've actually got to stop doing that one. Yep. And start doing this one over here. Yep. And they go, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And they sit down Monday morning because they had their session. Or well, sit down Tuesday morning because they had their session with you Monday afternoon. And they've got these two options in front of them. And what happens is we get drawn to the energetic sensation within us that we find more desirable. Sure. So in but, the same but, way. But you have to also recognize that there's the short-term, immediate desire, fulfillment. It feels good to do the old comfortable stuff. Yeah. But I, if I really want to get some long-term gain, then I need to focus on the stuff that's harder and yeah. I can't avoid conflict. I've got to get, I've got to lean into the stuff that's more difficult. But And they all know that at a logical level, yes. at a very left brain, but yes. at a right brain uh, emotional spot, they go back to where they were. 
And the reason they go back to the way they were is because that feels better. It feels safer. It won't take right. long. We get caught. We like to do things that are pleasurable. That's why they're pleasurable. But our job so is to be, take a stand to, for them to get to the to stay with the long term gain because this is ultimately what they really want. Their bigger want, and to yeah. remind them that to get there yeah. you have to do this. So it's like the gym analogy. You know, yes. you want that buff body, you've got to go to the gym. Oh right. uh, yeah, but I'd rather sit on the couch. And it's the, it's the inevitable. Then you don't really want the buff body. <laughs> You want the buff body, you got to do the gym. Yeah, but if you don't, yeah. Or you don't really want the buff body, you just aren't being truthful with yourself. Yeah, yeah. So in all we ever have is the present moment where we make decisions. Yeah. can either make a decision to do something that is pleasurable or something that is not pleasurable, okay? Naturally, we're going to be drawn towards the pleasurable thing, but we know we can't go there. So what do people do? They put habits and discipline in place. So their habits and discipline send them down that path that is not comfortable, that they don't really like, but they want the end goal. Eat poo because in 12 months' time, you'll be rich. So why don't we get rid of, instead of forcing our way through that, why don't we get rid of what we're forcing our way through? So bear with me with this. Yeah, okay. Okay. So when when you're working with your CEO client and they need to go down the CEO work path, what stops them? I think a lot of times they don't know what they should be they doing. They don't know? Yep. So they bring in someone like you and you say, like, okay, do like, one, two, three, four. And they go, yep, I know how to do one, two, three, and four. Yep. That was Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, they rock up. Don't go down the path. Why not? I don't know. You tell me. Generally, it doesn't feel good. Right. I'm going to do one, two, three, four. I'm going to do step one. And I look at step one and I get these feelings inside me, but I'm not certain. I'm not comfortable. I don't quite know. That doesn't feel desirable. Yes. If I go back to my old CFO role, that feels certain. It feels comf- comfortable. It yeah. feels it's, com- so it's comfort zone stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so I call so, it FUDs, fears, uncertainties, doubts, and suspicions. So yeah. you FUDs so is what keeps us in our comfort zone, stuck yeah. doing the same thing over and over. So. Most people will put scaffolding in place to go down the uncomfortable path. So they put an accountability coach such as yourself in place, a coach, if I don't do this, I've got to give $100 to charity and all this scaffolding to keep them on the path, to keep them going down something that's uncomfortable. Why don't we just get rid of what is making it uncomfortable? What is making it uncomfortable is not the task. The task is neutral. What is making it uncomfortable is your reaction to the task. Of course. So why don't we just let that dissipate? So in the same way that you had this feeling of, I want to have a glass of wine. Why? Because it would feel good. If you sat with that feeling and then it rose, it existed, then it dissipated. Do that with the same task that the CEO needs to do. What does it feel like? I'm feeling this energetic sensation in my body of weight. Okay. Don't label it. Don't say I'm feeling fear because when you label it fear, you bring in all these other stories that are just not useful. Don't justify it. Of course, I should feel this way. This is important. Don't own it. Oh, I always feel this way when I've got to start a new task. Just observe it. Observe the weight sitting on your shoulders, observe the stirring within your stomach, 
observe the cold fingers, the cold toes, the sweaty armpits. Just observe it. And what will happen is it will intensify, then it will dissipate. And when it dissipates, we have made the unconscious conscious. And then it won't be there for us anymore because it has dissipated, it is gone. We can then do the task. The task, so, it's not about making the task pleasurable because that is just another craving. What it's about is making it not undesirable. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no, I understand. Look, I think I come from a similar school of thought or wisdom. It's I'm seeing some of the images behind your desk of a Buddha, a couple of Buddhas, and there's a wisdom that we can tap into. And I think you and I tap into some of that similar type of wisdom. Not all CEOs, <laughs> most, are not wired like that. They're wired as type A. Things are maybe a little bit more fast-paced and frenetic. It's difficult for them to slow down and reflect and mm. see how they're busy being busy. A lot of CEOs confuse activity with accomplishment. They yeah. busyness with business as my friend used to it's not easy to be uh, in the place where you're making the best decision every time quieting that voice in the head going into a, a meditative place if you will and going okay what's the mm. best use of my time right now what do we need to focus on this day this yeah. week this quarter so, yeah, absolutely i'm wondering i'm going to share with you some of what i do to help CEOs get off of that treadmill. And I'd like to hear then what you do. One of my yeah. things is to get them out of their work environment, get them mm -hmm. into a room or a space or a place. They're thinking about things that they don't normally always think about and planning stuff. And then these might be conversations around strategy or people or around disciplines around execution or setting priorities and setting goals. And so getting them out of their work environment and away from the, away from the phones, away from the cell phones, I find that's one way that's really helpful. Tell me a little bit about what you do with your clients to get them out of or away from what their comfort zone is make good decisions. Yeah, great to get extracting yourself from the stimulus environment is a great way to shut down other parts of the default mode mm -hmm. network. That's the voice in your head. I help my clients with is getting out of you're in a meeting, the pressures are building, your start, your anxiety levels are going up, or your adrenaline levels are going up. How do you bring it back down so you can be present to the moment? The best way to do that is simply an awareness exercise. So until I mention it to you now, you can't feel the chair that you're sitting on your butt. But now that I've mentioned it to you, you can. So what has happened is you're completely in your head, you're not in your body. So what I teach my clients to do is, okay, just in a meeting, feel your butt. You're talking there, you're negotiating, whatever it is. Can you get a sense of your butt on the chair? What that will do is it will drag you out of your head. Another way of doing that is simply to wriggle your toes. While you're having this conversation, wriggle your toes, focus on that. You can do two things at once. You'll be, able, you'll be fine. And what that does is it extracts them from their head. The third technique, and this is super powerful, is about observing what is. And what that means is to simply focus on the breath coming in and out of your nose. Now, a lot of people teach this as a breathing exercise. And by that, I mean they say breathe slow, breathe fast, breathe deep, breathe shallow, or whatever their version of that is. 
That's not observing what is. That is creating, trying to control. What this exercise is about is simply observing how your breath is. Is your breath shallow? If it's shallow, it is shallow. If it is deep, don't judge it. Just observe it. If it's the left nostril, fine. If it's the right nostril, fine. What this does is it enables you, it helps build the skill of simply observing, of observation. The reason this is important is when you feel that energetic sensation rise within your body that would normally cause you to either avoid the CEO work or do the previous role work, you need to be able to simply observe what is happening. And practicing your skills of observing, you will be able to realize, ah, I'm having an energetic sensation around the job that I should be doing. How about I just watch it? And when you can watch it, it will dissipate. That's the law of the universe. When it's dissipated, it's not there to slow you down, which means it's going to be less difficult to do the CFO role. Oh, sorry, CEO role instead of the CFO role. Understood. This is a refreshing conversation to start the year with. Certainly. My first one of the year. Darren, tell our listeners a little bit about your business, your practice, yeah. what you offer, what you do. People want to know more about the work that you do or how to engage with you. Tell us a little bit about it. I show clever people how to connect. What I found is lots of clever people, are your, your engineers, your coders, your super smart people, they're really good in one area. But how do they connect to their staff as leaders? How do they connect to their clients so they can sell more of their stuff? But more importantly, how do they connect to themselves? If you've got a dashboard on your car and it's constantly sending you messages of speed and temperature and I need the oil and alternator, blah, 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 you've got to pay attention to that. What I do is I show my clients how to read the dashboard that their body is sending to them so they can make the right adjustments. And I've just today or before we started recording this podcast, I was putting the finishing touches to my book, Mindset Mastery, Do Less, Achieve More. What that's about is quieting down the internal distractions inside your head so you can focus on that one task that you need to do so you can do it. I think that's great. I think this is of a disruptive conversation because it's supposed to interrupt your pattern of how you think, how you behave how you show up and mm. you're asking people to bring a new level of awareness, a new level yeah. of focus, a refreshed uh, approach or mindset to it. And I think that's really valuable. If you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, if you're going to be a disruptive successor in a family business, then you certainly need to do this level of this kind of work and bring a frequency to it which I'll say, I mean, in terms of an energy and also a doing it often so that things continue to stay fresh because Absolutely. that's the job of a leader is, I think, to Absolutely. tell a story and to take people from where you, they, where you are to where you think you can go. So, Absolutely. So, Darren, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. If people want to get a hold of you, we'll have your information in the show notes. But do you have a preferred place for them to reach out to you? DarrenFlemming.com.au and 1M in Fleming. Sounds good. Darren, Thank thanks much. so much. Appreciate you being on the show. Folks, you know the drill. If you got some value out of the show, please like it, share it with others, give us a good rating on your podcast listening app of choice, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks. 
This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.